Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast, discussing all things audiobooks with the authors that write the stories and the narrators that perform them. Brought to you by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 13 of the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast presents Enchantress After Dark. This is a new series with the same great content, just a wee bit more intimate with our guests. In the past two years, we've had been the official podcast for the Allure signing in 2022 and Readers Take Denver's convention in 2023. And I'm thrilled that we are the official podcast for Darkstar Con in this year, 2024, happening August 29th through September 1st in New Orleans. And guys, if you haven't gotten your tickets, make sure to get those. It's a book convention focused on audiobooks and what's the next best thing happening in the audiobook world. Visit their website to learn more about this event and the signing authors and narrators. Today, I am chatting, and I am so excited to talk to author Violet Taylor. Thank you for being here. Yes, thanks for having me. How about we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been writing, and how you got started? Sure. Uh, So I'm Violet Taylor. I write paranormal and monster romance, and I am actually a little bit of a newbie in the indie author scene. My first book Frost and Fate, which is a shifter, wolf shifter romance, uh, actually published in June of 2022. So I have not even been publishing for two full years now, but it has kind of been a whirlwind. I have 11 published titles currently, so we kind of just jumped on this bandwagon and and ran with it. Uh, (laughs) You know, when you're into something, you're into something, and then you just, you go with it. I actually started writing during quarantine because I had a lot of time on my hands and I was reading a a ton of books, a bunch of shifter books, and I just kept thinking, oh, I have all these fun ideas that I would love to write. So I just started writing them in the notes section of my phone, not really thinking anything of it, right? Just like doing it for fun. And then eventually it's my husband who was like, why don't you finish that and actually send it to an editor or do something with it. And so I was like, oh, I didn't even think that was really an option, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I did it and found a great editor and self-published. And then we just been going wild from there. Yeah. Wow. 11 books in like two years, girl. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Sometimes I think back, I'm like, how did this happen? Yeah. You're studying presidents. That's what I'm saying. The moment you, you only publish like so that's an average of, well, like, let's just go um, round number of 10, like five books a year. The moment you go into four, people are going to be like, girl. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like I've, so I, so I have five full lengths and six novellas. And I feel like I have slowed down a little bit because I'm working on two different full lengths right now. And so people are like, where are the new books? I'm like, y'all, I cannot just bump out a book every month. But um, I definitely know they expect uh, a lot from me now um, and to keep up kind of that pace that I set. It's been interesting because it used to be more on the traditional published side, which was how we got books 10, 15 years ago solely. You know, we had to wait sometimes, not six months, but years to get that next book. And we were okay with it because there's other authors. Fast forward with the indie world, which is fantastic. It's like, when's the next book? And I'm like, it took me six months to write this one. You, It just released yesterday. But it must be fun to get those notes, though, because, you know, from fans, right? Yes, it is. It is funny, though, that it takes months to write and you're tediously working on a scene. It takes like a full day to write this scene, you know, this and that. And then the readers tear through it in like minutes. I mean, just minutes. They have already <laughs> read through it. In a few hours, they're done and they're like, what's next? And you're like, girl, I just like spent months working on that. It's so true. I do think there's kind of a weird going on right now in the indie world with people expecting sequels to come out faster. I definitely feel like there's more pressure to get more books out, whereas people had more patience in the past, I think because they had to. I have definitely seen people pushing to get books out and then also sometimes being unhappy with a book that they felt was rushed in terms of sequels. So we're kind of at an interesting place where the readers want more, but then sometimes the quality feels like it's not there for some of these sequels. And so it's kind of like, what do you do? You know, do you hold out, take that time, or do you get it out while you're hot? You know, do you get it out while people are excited? So I think that's kind of everybody's struggle right now with publishing. 
It is. I think that's, uh, it's actually a great conversation too. We've been having it for years about that. I would much rather you take six months, a year, however long it takes you. Cause you know, life <laughs> happens. <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> you got to sleep sometime. And I would much rather you take the time and give me a story that is satisfactory, that it's like, oh my God. And that worth the wait versus getting it in a week and saying, oh, yeah, is she just like wash, rinse, repeat, changing the name of the characters? What's going on? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's just a matter of kind of like having those conversations again, sometimes with the public. And I've, and I've done it here on the podcast. I'm like, guys, let Violet write the book. I can give <laughs> you like 50 gazillion other names of authors that I love and adore that you can catch and wait on until she gets the next one. You know, sign up for her newsletter. She will tell you where she's at in the process via the newsletter. She will tell you when it's up for pre-order and stuff like that. So guys, there's enough time. Absolutely. And there's a lot of authors out there. There are. There are so many, so many. And there's more, I think constantly I'm reminded there's more than just the few authors who are really trending right now, which is great. I'm always so excited for any author who starts trending and getting up there. But it's a great reminder that some of people's favorite books are still authors you've never, ever heard of that are not in the bookstores, you know, that you can only find through the friend of a friend, through the word of mouth out there. Absolutely. And there's sometimes where I'm going, who? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and then my friend's like, they're shocked. I'm like, listen, I'm the enchantress. I'm not almighty. Okay. Uh, right. <laughs> there is no way in hell that it's possible to know every single one of y'all. And who, you know, when, because these are so many things that are being produced. I'm excited when I learn a new name, I add it to my book of like, check them out kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So it is fun. So when you were talking about writing paranormal and you also said monsters yeah growing up in this industry where you know paranormal traditionally meant more like shifter wolves and you know vampires and things like that monsters are now something that's relatively newer what kinds are your monsters like great question so yes yeah, so it was almost like shifters wolf shifters was like the gateway into monsters for me right because they're monstrous, but they're still so human, right? Because they have a human side. They're oftentimes human more often than they're in their animal form, right? Mm -hmm. But my first monster story that I released was called Scream for the Scarecrow. And it was a cursed scarecrow in a pumpkin patch on Halloween. Um, it was very dark and very spicy. It was kind of when I made the jump into, you know, my shifter series is the Chosen Shifter Mates. It's a little bit lighter. It's more tropey, happily ever after. All those good feels you get from the faded mates, wolf shifters, you know, they love their women. They're obsessed. They worship them, you know. And then... Scream for the Scarecrow was my first real monster monster and real dive into dark romance. So that was my first monster was a scarecrow. And then from there, we jumped into a vampire. We've done spider monsters. We've done demons. We've done a frost god. They just keep getting <laughs> a little scarier. And somehow they just keeps being more and more partners in the books. I don't know what happens. Every time I write something, I'm like, maybe we need to add one more to the <laughs> to the group. Maybe we need one more monster or or at least appendage in the story. Yeah. And from the monster's perspective, they're not shifting into humans. They're staying in that form throughout the entire story. Yes, they are monstrous monsters is what they are. And the women that fall for them, they fall for their monster form and everything that that entails. I saw one time that there was like a spider one out there and I was like, um, you're cute, but I tend to, you know, go away when I see a spider. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think monster romance is something that everybody's always surprised by what they're interested in because I've seen so many covers or just art or things that I think like, Ooh, or mm, I don't know about that. And then you read it and you're like, Oh, Oh, okay. Maybe I am into this obscure, you know, monster creature, you know, dark entity, whatever it may be. So I like that monster romance. I feel like when well done can pretty much sway you to be into anything. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I remember when, a few years ago, it was been almost, wow, wow, goodness, I think it's been 10 more or less. The first time that there was a book and it was um, something with the, with the Tyrannosaurus or with the dinosaur <laughs> romance. And a lot of us were going, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> really? I mean, this is set back in the day of caveman and cave, you know, women and stuff like that. And she is 
having relations and, and falling in love with the Tyrannosaurus Rex. And I'm like, he could eat you, not in a good way. <laughs> and now fast forward, we're having, you know, all these different kinds of monsters and I'm going, okay, it's developed. And <laughs> that's so true. I feel like we have like these subcategories now where I try to make sure with my monster romances, more than anything, they're very spicy, right? But I try to, even in the novellas, make sure there's good character development, there's a plot, there's some kind of plot twist, and there's a resolution, right? But I do think there is a sub-sub genre of romances, not even just monsters, all kinds of obscure creatures and inanimate objects that specifically just... I mean, purely ridiculous in so many words when people just love it. And it wasn't the writer didn't write it with the intention of being like a, the next bestseller or winning any prizes. It was just like the author one day was like, I wonder what would happen if I wrote about like a, a door or a door. Right, right, right. <laughs> yes, everyone thinking about the door. Yes. And I think that's so funny. And I think that's such a fun, quirky genre that we have going on right now where people are like, you know what? Why not try reading about this raptor romance, you know, or diner romance? I don't know. There's so many funny ones out there, but those always make me laugh. I heard about the one that there were shifters, but they shift not into animals. Well, technically, yes, but they're balloon animals. Yes. (laughs) I have also heard of one where they shift into bread. So they like one of them turns into like a croissant. I don't know. I couldn't like, there's so many. So I think that's a fun genre. Like they were just written. I mean, Mm -hmm. I would assume that, I mean, maybe the author was very serious about them, but I would assume they were written just kind of with a, you know, kind of like fuck it attitude. Like, let's just see what happens if I write about some croissant shifters or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever they wanted to do, which I love. I think there's all kinds of really fun, unique reads out there right now. There is. Yeah. And one of the things I love about this community is that we don't yuck anybody's yum, regardless of what that is. And not everything's our cup of tea and that's okay. I'm always like, no, my God. Like when my friend tells me about this stuff and she's really into dark romance and I'm on that not so into it in the sense of the topics and things, but she's telling me about this and I'm like, I get excited because she's excited. And so that's where I'm like, yeah, you you listen to it. Whatever makes you happy and you read, if it brings you joy, go for it. That's so true. I think people really forget, especially aspiring authors, that there is a reader for everything. I always tell everyone that. There's a reader for everything. There's a reader for the door romances. There's a reader for dark romance. There's a reader for the light and fluffy. Like, I'm, I, I always, when people are like, oh, I always want to write a book, but... Um, you know, I don't want this or I'm afraid of that. I'm like, just do it because it's possible you find a whole group of people that aren't into your book, right? They Mm -hmm. just like this. They just like that. But I really believe there is literally a reader for every type of book, every type of genre out there. And I think it's a good reminder that even though some books are more popular than others, the readers are out there. And sometimes the people not talking about books, it's because they're into maybe the more obscure, what we would be considered like weird or less common, you know, kinks or, you know, creatures. More taboo, yeah. Yes, and just because they're not being as vocal as some of the people on social media doesn't mean that there's not a whole audience of people who would love to read that type of book. On that same level, because I've I've been seeing this lately, is that it seems that sometimes some of you guys, and I understand it, if it's not a big influencer, you know, on social or a reviewer, you think like it's never going to get seen. Or no one's talking about it. And I'm like, well, no, there's so many different sides to, for an example, book talk. And that's not just the one representative of, you know, what that, that, you know, group looks like. There are people talking about, you know, these books and whether it's, you know, someone that has five followers or someone that has 10, I know you guys appreciate every one of them and should appreciate all of them. Absolutely. That is so true. And while sometimes the larger influencers can get more reach, Usually with the smaller influencers, you just get such genuine reviews Mm -hmm. and there's so many times they really take the time to talk about the book and show things off. And they're so grateful when you interact with them. And I feel like that is oftentimes more satisfying than uh, seeing your video on a big influencers post or things like that. It is. Yeah. And I know sometimes from a business perspective, the thought is, oh, bigger influencers, bigger, you know, larger number of people that could potentially be reached. But the reality of it is, is it's a ratio. If you have a million followers, but you're only reaching and the engagement's at a hundred, that's not good. No, 
Versus if you only have five followers, but all five are engaged, that's good. That's the one that you want. And right. I think authors are now starting to realize that. And hopefully they are, because if not, it's more conversations we're having. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, when, when we love a story, we love it. And we're sharing it. I mean, I gifted two books to two coworkers of mine that are, are friends as well. And that was their Christmas present. <laughs> and it's just like, that's what we do. We just continue to gift each other. Yes. With the monsters and the paranormals, where do you get the ideas for your stories? That is such a great question. <laughs> I have more ideas than I have hours in the day. Like I have endless lists right now of book ideas and things that I would like to write. I think I always grew up loving magic and fantasy and, you know, monster movies and horror. And I love Halloween. Halloween is like, I'm like a Halloween year round kind of girl. And I have no idea. Some, I think it just shows up in your brain and then you just write it down and you decide whether that's the one you're going to jump on or that's the one you're going to save for later. So I don't know. I think I'm a big weirdo and I just have all kinds of weird stuff in my brain and I happen to find a place where I can <laughs> make use of it and turn it into something. I mean, here you are listing up a bunch of stuff. I'm like, yeah, we could totally be like BFFs. And you're like, I'm a weirdo. And I'm like, well, fine. So am I. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love the yeah. weirdos. But so are you the kind of author that does the plotting or the pansters? Do you start writing, okay, I'm going to write about a biker who happens to then, and then you decide that he's going to be X, Y, Z. How does that process work for you? So I'm like a rough outliner. So I usually know what type of characters I want in the book, like specifically for monster. Like I would know, okay, I want a scarecrow and I want a main female character, right? And then I'll say, I want it on a pumpkin patch and I want the story to take place in one night. And then usually if I have any really strong, like of the sex scenes, like spicy scenes that I want to do, I'll go in and kind of make notes of those. Like imagine, you know, if I specifically want them to do it in a certain place or that, like I'll add little notes of that. And then I will have the conclusion. I know how the book is going to end which has changed before. But for the most part, I know how it's going to end. And then I basically just start writing and let the rest fill itself in as I'm writing. So I do a bit of both. That actually makes really good sense, though, for those that are yeah. trying to figure out. Do you do the insert sex scene here and then get to it later? Or do you continuously write and you're like, oh, they're about to have sex. Let's go. I usually continuously write. There has been a time if it's in a full length novel and some of my books have so many spicy scenes. If I have already written like a spicy scene that day or two, sometimes I will take a break from the spice and come back to it the next day just because it can be extra exhausting to do the spicy scenes. Like in my book, The Wrath of Roses, which is a dark Beauty and the Beast reimagining that has Belle, the Beast and Gaston. There's just so much spice in that book that occasionally I could hit like two or three scenes in like a day or two. And so sometimes you have to just nip that and then come back to it when you're not so like sexed out that day. Mm. Cause it's exhausting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes. It really is. Yeah. Especially when you're drawing, I'm, I can imagine that it should be, especially when you do the monster side, like if they have any extra arms or appendages and you're going, okay, where was what? Oh, yeah. Or like reverse harem style, like ours for Halloween. I'm like, okay, this one's got wings. Is he using them? This one has tentacles. Where are his tentacles? Well, this one is using his, you know, super tongue or whatever. You know, you're trying to plot like, <laughs> where are all these appendages going? And do I have enough holes? And <laughs> what's realistically happening here? Yeah. You know, you're like, let me take a step back and see, because there's a whole lot of chaos going on with that many monsters in one spicy scene yeah it's so much as we all like ooh, i would love that i'm like would you though i mean in real life so many people <laughs> in the think, same bed i'd be like no. i think about that i am <laughs> like i write that all the time and then i'm like if they showed up and was like let's stuff every hole with all these crazy oversized everything's i'd be like you know what i might have to take a step back for a minute <laughs> need a stretch for a minute or something, you know, I don't Get know. a drink. <laughs> yeah. It seems great. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not hydrated enough for this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not stretched enough for this. Yeah, definitely. Or I'm like, You're, I'm just tired. <laughs> I've yeah. been working all day. <laughs> Can we take a break and come back to this in a few hours? Yeah. With as many as you guys are in this room, who did the dishes? Who's done the vacuuming? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe after all that stuff is done, we'll have some sexy time. <laughs> Absolutely. 
what are the favorite kind of scenes for you to write? Is it the banter, some of the sexy stuff? Is it with that first meet cute kind of thing, like when they first meet up? I love banter. I always try to squeeze comedy into all of my books uh, just because I usually tend to have at least one or two of those characters who are the comedic relief and I really enjoy writing those. But I think my favorite types of scenes are action scenes because my favorite types of books, like some of my favorite series are all Star Wars based and something I love about those is the way that they write the action. And so whenever I get to a big fight scene or, you know, where magic powers are being thrown around, things like that, I love writing the action stuff. That is always one of the areas when I write that just seems to like fly out of my fingers when I'm working on it. Those are always going to be fun too. It's, you know, kind of get out some of that angst that you might need for the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my favorite's a banter when, you know, you have a strong heroine that can kind of keep up or put them on their toes kind of thing. It's just, I'm like, I love when that happens. Love it. I'm just, and also when they're sarcastic, probably because I'm sarcastic, but anyways. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, our personalities absolutely pour into our characters. I mean, there's so many times my husband reads that and is like, wow, you're literally wrote yourself just then. <laughs> like <laughs> literally had a conversation with yourself in that. I'm like, oh, caught me. Yeah. Has he had that moment or like, why are you writing about me or not? You know, or does he think that every awesome, sexy monster is about him <laughs> inspired by? Oh my gosh. <laughs> he is actually the funniest. He always um, tells everybody whenever he tells them that I write spicy books, he's always like, I'm the inspiration for everything she writes. So every time you read a really good scene, like I was the inspiration behind that. <laughs> so he takes full credit for any creative spicy inspiration in any book, which I absolutely love. And he's hilarious. And he'll read anything that I write. He reads everything. So he reads like he helps me plot and he reads my first draft before it goes to the editor. Um, he helps me proofread. So he reads everything. And I really enjoy that. He's so open-minded, even though sometimes he reads things and he's like, he he's like, I trust you that there's readers that are going to like this, but <laughs> he's like, but for me, this is crazy. You know, I'm like, yes, it is. But yeah, he's very accepting of, uh, anything that I put into, I'm like, okay, I know this is going to be weird for you, but the readers are going to love it. You know, he's like, oh gosh. It's so sweet though, but also, you know, respectfully sexy as hell when they support you. Yes. And they are part of that process instead of saying anything negative about it. So I did, I saw someone once who they were asking the author, like, has your husband ever read any of your books? Um, someone who writes dark romance and they were like, no, he's never read anything. Um, I think it'd be outside. They were like, he's not really a reader. And I was like, oh, I'm just so glad that I have someone who is willing to read because it really does make the whole thing more fun. And occasionally he has some really good ideas to put into these. So he'll call them like our books when he's telling people, he's like, oh, we just finished writing this book. I'm like, did we, did we <laughs> just finish this writing this book? So, um, but yeah, I do feel very lucky because I know not everybody's uh, partner is as open or willing to kind of dive in and help out, especially in areas that they know nothing about. I mean, he doesn't read. He doesn't read monster romance. He's only ever read my books, you know, so mm -hmm. but he's always willing to jump in. Yeah, that's awesome. It's really one of those things where the support is so needed and where you can bounce off ideas and to be able to have it where if he says something funny, I'm like, oh, that's going to go in a book. <laughs> yes. And not just when he pisses you off, does that character get killed off all of a sudden? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look what you did. Yeah. He's like, hey, didn't we fight about this last week? <laughs> yeah. He's like, wow, we had this same fight. He's like, oh, that guy dies. Like, oh, convenient. Got his, got his manhood chopped off. Don't want that to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, he learned, didn't he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is there a genre that you want to write in that you haven't yet that you're thinking about going into or wanting to? Well, so, okay. So I don't really write anything contemporary and I don't really have any desire to write contemporary. I don't read a lot of contemporary, which I feel like is something that I could dabble in. But I really feel like if I jumped into something totally different, I would do YA because I grew up reading so much YA, like the Mortal Instruments series or like Hunger Games and Twilight and all of that, that I do think if I ever got like adult contented out, 
you know, spiced out that it would be really fun to jump into YA for a while and just create a whole new world there. Yeah, I can see that with uh, the fantasy and the magic and then not have to worry about intersex here because, you know, YA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do think it could be like if you ever I feel like that could be a good cure for burnout if that ever if it ever came to it is jumping ship, you know, and then kind of diving into something where there's so much less pressure almost. Mm-hmm. So that's always kind of in the very, very back of my mind. But right now I'm still like loving, loving all the spice. But uh, I do think it would be fun to write YA just because I loved it so much reading it for so many years. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times that's what people sometimes don't understand that if you just take out the sex scenes and you still have a good, great story as it should be, you can insert that into, you know, Amish, <laughs> keep it clean, <laughs> you know, kind of like that. And, or even, you know, the YA stuff, because it, at the end of the day, you know, we want a good story. We just happen right. to like the, the spicier ones. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I think it's good to know what, when you have a book that is story-based with spice or some books are purely written just as smut, which is also great, mm-hmm. but it's good going into that also saying like, I've seen authors that are like, hey, like, don't expect a detailed plot and, you know, great character development. Like you're going in, this is purely for the spice, you know? So I think it's good to set those expectations for the readers as well, because there's also a genre for people who want pure smut. They don't care if it makes sense. They don't care if there's an actual plot. They're in there for the smut and the spice. Yeah. Um, there's other people who want, you know, they're less interested in the spice. They want the story. They want the characters. They want the plot, the world building. So I think just like pairing expectations for your readers is always important and helps everybody. That's also been a conversation in the author world with the readers is like, we need to have that, you know, trigger warning just so we know what we're getting into and, or don't want to get into and you know, and that's, and that's okay. Right. And I know that it, it was started because of social media and not trying to get banned and the same thing with the, the zone and not and getting buried in the list, but we've always had erotica out there, which is smut. And then we had the erotic romance, which meant that it was spicier people have kind of away a little bit from using those terms and some people are like so what is that and then i've had to explain like oh i'm like yeah you know social media things get like flagged and on amazon they get flagged too if you use erotica or they'll get buried so they'll they'll remove that on it but it's always been around as long as romance has been around it's just now y'all are getting more creative i will say that I think being able to self-publish has really opened the world of romance too. I'm sure other genres as well, but because back in the day we would have to get picked up by someone, we would have to get approved by Mm -hmm. someone and some of these smaller niche stranger monster, you know, door, whatever it is might not have ever gotten picked up. It's changed it because I know when I started writing these books and trying to explain them to my mom, she was kind of unable to, imagine anything except for like the old school Barnes and Noble, like long flowy hair shirt, like, (laughs) you know, yes, exactly. Like romance books. That is all she could think of. And that's all she kind of felt like existed for her. There was like some historical romances. And then like, I mean, I feel like it was a lot of historical romances. And, you know, I can see like the castle on the cover and the guy with the long hair. The pirate ship. Yeah. I tried to explain to her. She was like, oh, she was like, I just have a hard time imagining that because I never really saw that in like the bookstore. Yeah. I mean, we were okay with like, and not even in the bookstore, but even like seeing it like on TV, like Gargoyles, the show by Disney and things like that. We're going, you know, he sounds really hot. And, you know, there and the people were like, oh, is she crushing on him? And we're like, nah, because, you know, he's a thing. Technically, it's gargoyle. And now fast forward, there's romance based on gargoyles. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. Nothing from our childhood is no. safe anymore. It really is <laughs> nothing. I mean, I'm the worst of that. I'm doing, I did the Beauty and the Beast and now I'm working on, I have several more of the dark fairy tale reimaginings coming out, all based on childhood favorites and, you mm-hmm. know. I've seen people that are like, just leave the childhood stuff alone. I'm like, we can't help it. We can't help it. Now that we're older, we realize mm, that beast was looking like a snack <laughs> in that movie. Now that I'm older, I see, uh, I, I like them a little more beastly, you know? So when you mentioned the, the beating the beast retelling, I'm going, but did she have a library? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
oh, the library. And you know, there's some spicy library scenes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's just one of those things where we were like, go ahead. The amount of stuff that was adults that was put in kid stuff. And now we look back on it and going, yo. Oh, so true. So I'm like, we weren't that innocent. We just didn't know any better back then. Yeah. <laughs> That's absolutely true. They were asking for us to write these by putting those hunky monster men in all their muscles in our TV shows and movies. What were they thinking? <laughs> they were molding exactly. our minds without realizing it. Now we're older and we realize we can write 18 plus things and bam. There you go. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> now with audiobooks, do you listen to audiobooks? I do, yes. So when you're in the process of writing these stories and stuff like that, are you going, I'm going to get these in audio? How was that process for you as far as, yes, I'm going to do it? So at the beginning, it did not occur to me. When I wrote my first series, the Chosen Shifter Mates series, um, I pretty much was just writing as a total beginner, right? I didn't really think ahead that much in terms of, I knew it was going to happen in the series, but I hadn't thought about audiobooks. Um, I hadn't really thought about writing to market or advertising on social media, you know, all of that that you sort of have to learn and adapt to, um, to get that kind of growth. But once I decided to do audiobooks, I pretty much ran with that. I got the first three books in the Chosen Shifter Mate series recorded, which all recently released. I had those recorded by Stella Hunter and Ryan West, which was my first experience. And I picked those narrators because I had heard them in other things. I didn't do auditions or anything like that because I basically heard them and knew I wanted them, but it was kind of a, a new experience because I hadn't listened to a ton of audiobooks, but those are my favorite at the time. And so I got those made, but now that I got those made and now that I've seen how, I mean, I just read the stats of how audiobooks are growing faster than anything else, faster than paperbacks, hardcovers, eBooks, everything. It's audiobooks. I've been making more of an effort to plan ahead and get those made. And now the book I'm writing now, I have people in mind as I'm writing it kind of like, Ooh, I can already hear this character in this guy's voice. And I think that sort of helps to shape the story too, knowing that it's going to end up being heard. So that means that you're also kind of shifting a little bit the writing style as far as reducing some taglines, having the dialogue be a little bit more out loud. Yeah, it, de- <laughs> it was definitely a little bit of a rude awakening to hear my writing as an audiobook, especially my first book, because some things that I thought were so great on paper, hearing them out loud, I was like, cringe. I'm just like, stop writing creamy thighs. Like, please don't ever <laughs> write creamy thighs again. Because every time I heard them say it, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't. So that has been interesting thinking of how things are going to be heard, which obviously I didn't think of at all when I wrote any of those books, but it was better when I got The Wrath of Roses recorded, which is Troy Duran and Bridget Bordeaux, which that should be out in the next couple of weeks. That one was written more with the intention of kind of going wide and getting it in audio. So I really enjoyed listening to that one this time. I thought it was a lot easier to listen to versus being critical of the other series because I had not intended that. But it was, it is always still so uncomfortable to listen to the narrators do the spicy scenes. No matter what happens, every time I find myself like squealing of embarrassment when I make them drop the C word or do some real raunchy, raunchy stuff, you know? I find it fascinating how we as human beings are so probably like sex averse when it comes down to like our sexualities and having some normality to certain things. And we're okay with eyeball reading it and writing it, but saying it out loud, we're like, Oh yeah. Like I get (laughs) squeamish, like listening to my own books being read. I'm like, dang girl. I'm like, did you write that? Like, what were you thinking? I'm like, with Wrath of Roses, I'm like, poor Troy, because there's so many spicy scenes. And I'm like, I can't believe he had to say that. I can't believe he had to say that out loud. <laughs> so um, that is still a part of audiobooks that I'm not used to, is uh, mm-hmm. having to proof the audiobooks and listen to them actually say what you wrote and think, damn, you're a freak. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah, there's something very different about hearing it versus reading it. Yeah, it's just just different senses and things like that. So Wrath of Rose is the one that's coming up, you said, right? 
Yes, The Wrath of Roses is coming out. It's done. I'm waiting for the audiobook cover. And then as soon as I have that, I will be posting it. And then, you know, however long it, the uh, audible gods decide it will take to <laughs> come to our ears to be listened to, um, it will be out, which I'm so excited for because Troy and Bridget just uh, nailed it. They're like a dream team together. And I love Bridget's voice. It's, it, it's a little bit like it can be soft. And sweets, like kind of how you would inv- imagine Bella, like from the Disney side of things. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but then also she can really get down and dirty if she needs to. <laughs> she can. You know, I love her because she is super animated. I mean, she does not hold back with anything, which I know everyone has their preference. And some people like a more straightforward, traditional you know, traditionally narrators weren't as animated. It was Uh kind of just like looking for a clean, clear voice. But I love that Bridget is so animated. And I got this book done in um, duet because I wanted to hear all the men's lines in Troy's voice because, I mean, I don't know if if you've ever listened to Troy do anything. It's like, instant panty melt right i mean like his voice is incredible (laughs) no i mean no for real like every time so i did that but i will say that i wish or i miss hearing bridget as a man because i have listened to books where she plays the man Mm -hmm. he is like a hotter man than the man playing the man do you know what i mean totally i totally crushed on some of the girls yes bridget can crush those men's voices but i always prefer duet um, narration, but I will say if I ever had to do a duel, I would pick Bridget because those men voices, chef's kiss, so good. Yeah, th- there's been a few times where I've I've texted the narrator and I'm like, I've had to remind myself that uh, A, I'm straight and B, uh, that you are not a guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Sometimes it's so easy to forget. And I love that when you're listening and you forget that it's like a woman doing every voice, mm-hmm. like that is such talent. I mean, same goes for the men when they're reading the women's voices and it doesn't pull you out when someone like Troy suddenly starts saying, oh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> the fact that he's able to pull that off and not make you instantly start cackling because you know, he goes from like growly, gravelly voice to like woman. Like that is just real talent, real talent in those people. It is. It's. It's. It, I think it's one of those where now specifically more so than ever, because I don't want to say competition, but I think that there's just the volume of narrators has increased a whole lot. And, yes. uh, you know, we're like, we want quality. We want to be able to distinguish between the characters and the different accents, but also I don't sound like a Valley girl when I, as a girl. And I'll, sometimes some of the male narrators can kind of go there thinking that they're doing something with their voice. I'm like, you're going Valley and that's not sexy. <laughs> right. I recently did uh, held auditions for ours for Halloween, which is a novella, but it's a reverse harem monster romance. And it was my first time auditioning anyone because for the other ones, I knew I wanted Stella and Ryan. I knew I wanted Troy and Bridget. So I just specifically like made them offers. Right. Mm -hmm. But this is the first time that I listened to auditions and it was so eye opening because I knew like instantaneously whether they were going to be the one or not when I started listening to the auditions. And even if they all had incredible voices, like it's all about what was in my head. Mm-hmm. you know, before I started listening. And so I thought that was so different hearing how everybody got the same material, but it came across so differently depending on every narrator. Yeah. The interpretation of the words. I mean, you've, you've probably seen that meme where depending on how you say it, it can mean so many different things and it's the truth. And so having that information, do you provide the narrators with like specifics like when he gets nervous or when she gets nervous she talks really really fast you know this one has a lisp when you know that comes out when he's really pissed off and stuff like that i don't go into as many specifics i don't think i do a character sheet where i give them as many details about each character as i can that kind of gives an insight into their personality and then i do pronunciations for everything that i think they'll struggle with but as for anything else, unless it's very specific, mm-hmm. I really leave that kind of open to them. And thus far I've been really happy with how everyone's nailed it or how they've, it's been different than what I imagined, but like, I really enjoyed it. So I didn't have them re-record it because I enjoyed their interpretation of that scene or moment. 
it's hard because you're like, that's my baby. That's your book. That's your baby. I know. It's so true. And you're trusting other people with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard. Well, I'm glad that you've been having such a good time getting your, your titles in audio. I think that's very important for all of you as authors to really enjoy that process. However, it is that they or you guys are involved because some people yes. are like they'll hire teams. Others are like, no, I'm like picking and choosing and, and I hired the other kind of thing. So. Right. Yeah, I did. I went through ACX for the the Shifter Mates books and talked directly with Stella, who kind of handled everything. But then I went through Troy's company, Darkstar, to do the Wrath of Roses and had them contact Bridget and get all of that together. And then I also went through them for Ours for Halloween to send the auditions. And I did specifically say for those that I was open to less well-known narrators because I think there's a lot of good people out there besides the same five to 10 that we are hearing on every single book right now. And that was a lot of fun. So we ended up, I don't know if you're familiar with these two, but I ended up choosing um, Michael Gallagher. Michael. And MK Blackwood. Oh, okay. Yay. (laughs) And Michael was totally new to me. He has a lot of titles out there, but he was um, new to me. And I just like, oh, fell in love with his voice for this project. And then MK Blackwood who I think she goes by another name sometimes as well. I heard her voice and was like, oh, she's the one. So they are going to be recording in the next month or so for this, which I'm so excited for. But they were newer to me, especially her. I had never heard either one of them on anything. And that was a really fun experience to go in kind of blind and find some people who to me were new and less on every title out there right now. Yeah, I got the chance to meet uh, Michael at a lord. Gosh, it's been now two years. <laughs> and like, we just started this year and it seems like it's been forever. And he is so talented. And uh, MK, I actually have her February 5th, I think, is when um, she and I are going to get together because she's going to be a dark star. Yes, I'm so excited. Yes, she'll be there. Bridget will be there. Yes. I met Troy, but I haven't met Bridget and I haven't met. MK. I know Michael's not going to be there, but I'm so excited that they're going to be there so I can actually see them in the flesh. Yeah. Bridget's awesome too, in person. You could just tell. I'm like, I feel like everyone's like, we could be best friends. Anyone who <laughs> Bridget do anything is like, we could be best friends. I'm mm-hmm. just sure. And then MK, I can't wait because her voice is so unique and beautiful. And then Michael, I wish he was there, but something about his voice, it's almost like even when he's speaking full volume, it's like he's whispering in your ear somehow. Mm-hmm. That's what I kept telling Travis. I'm like, it's like he's whispering in my ear, even though he's not whispering, like he's speaking full volume. So, so intimate. So I just think it's fascinating listening to everyone's unique styles. But yes, I can't wait to see um, Bridget and MK at Dark Star. It's going to be so exciting. Now, is this um, your first convention and signing or have you been to others before? This past year was my first year of signings. I kind of jumped around and did some smaller ones like Sinful Signings in Virginia. And then I did Love in Vegas in Vegas, which Mm was like a total opposite, pretty big, (laughs) you know, experience. So I kind of got to jump around and experience a little bit of everything. And then I have like five or six signings for this upcoming year set up. So this will be a much busier signing year than last year was. But I'm very excited. They're almost all new to me with the exception of Simple Signings, returning to Simple Signings. The others are Dark Stars new, obviously, because it's first year, Books, Gowns, and Crowns, Authors in the Bluegrass. So lots of fun new shows that um, I've heard lots of good things about and I'm very excited for. Yeah. And I know that as an author, you guys are always excited about meeting fans. Yes. It's always exciting. I'm meeting those people that are have been raving about your work and you're going, oh my God, that's you. And you're like, yes, who? oh my God, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. Like social media has made it interesting too because people on my art teams, mm-hmm. I am in correspondence with them. I see them, we're chatting about this and that. And then they show up at an event. I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I already know you mm-hmm. even though we've never met. So I love that. I love a chance to get to meet especially people on my ARC teams, Mm -hmm. people that I know on social media. And then in general, just people who show up saying like, I loved your book. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so weird that this is, uh, this is happening. I'm always surprised. Yeah. And I know that with Dark Star being a bit more focused on audiobooks, there might be some listeners that are thinking, oh, so I'm not going to go. The reality of it is, is that 
there's yes, there's a focus on audiobooks, but it's still a, a signing. So if you love New Orleans or want to use that as an excuse to go and be there, <laughs> I've never been. <laughs> oh, exactly. I, well, I have, but you know, that's saying like, there's, I like, there's been times where I've selected an event because I haven't been there at all before. Right. So I'm sure that there have been several people that have not been to New Orleans and, you know, this is going to be an event that where you still get to hang out with, you know, like Violet, even if you are not into audiobooks, or you may want to consider go in, getting into them while, you know, you're there, you might discover your new love of audiobooks while you're at Dark Star. Yeah. And I think too, a lot of people enjoy now, if you have a favorite book, like, like I would say the Dark Fae series by the Twisted Sisters is what got me hooked on Troy's voice, right? Because I listened to that on audio. I think it'd be fun if you took your copies and got them signed by the narrators as well, which is something that you don't normally get access to because we don't get to meet them very often or even see their faces. Uh, so that can be fun. So like anyone who comes with my book, The Wrath of Roses, they could get it signed by Bridget and Troy while they're there, which I think is a really fun, unique and me, you know, so I think that's a kind of a fun, unique Definitely experience. you. <laughs> yeah, definitely me. Definitely me. First stop, my table. Second stop, you know, Troy and Bridget. But I think that's kind of a a, a unique offering that we don't get very often. Yeah, it, it isn't. I think now, now there are more and more events that are uh, accepting and inviting of the narrators. But to be able to have them all in one collective and have you guys there as well, it's going to be really awesome. Yes. Yeah. I think it's going to be a really unique, cool experience. It is. And of course, you know, beignets. <laughs> of course. Of course. We can't forget beignets. Yeah. I'm messy like, as hell, but so worth the mess. So worth it. I know. So if you can try not to suffocate on powdered sugar, you just got to <laughs> not breathe in. Don't breathe in when you take a bite. That's the ultimate trap because you will die of powdered sugar inhalation <laughs> um, if you're not careful. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a fun city to, to, to kind of discover and go around and uh, lots of fun. One of the things I do on this podcast to not only get you guys get to know you guys better, but also to have some more fun is play games. And so one of the things that I love to do is say two truths and a lie where you tell us three things about yourself and we, because the listeners are playing along, at least in my head, you know, try to figure out which one's the lie. Okay. All right. So what are your three things? Okay. Three things, three things. So first, I got married in a castle. Second, my Hogwarts house is Slytherin. And third, spiders are my biggest fear. Okay. So you got married in a castle. Yes. Your Hogwarts house is Slytherin. And you have a deathly sphere of spiders, but we'll still write sexy things about them. Okay. Yes. <laughs> that is definitely one way to conquer your fear if you had that. Yes. Okay. All really good. See, I can totally see you having Slytherin. So I'm going to think that's the truth. So the lie is that, because I can also see you getting married in a castle. Hold on. <laughs> I'm going to say that you're afraid of spiders is the lie. It is a truth. <laughs> I did not get married in a castle, but I did get engaged at New Schwanstein Castle in Germany. Nice. It's all in the detail, folks. It's all in the details. It is. So that was my lie. I am deathly afraid of spiders, mm. which is why it shocked me more than anyone when I wrote A Web of Lust and Sorrow because it's a spider romance and I don't like spiders, but I... I'm going to butcher this so badly, but there is a, a lore of uh, Jorogumo, who is the shape-shifting spider and um, woman of death, right? Mm -hmm. And I, once I learned about it, I was like, I had this idea and I was like, I have to write it. And so it was extremely weird to write it, but A Web of Lust and Sorrow ended up being one of my favorite things that I've ever written, ever it's a novella and I love it. I love it. I did shoot myself in the foot a little though, because there's some twists and turns in there. And I, for the life of me, cannot figure out how to market this book without revealing things. So mm. if you just like good monster romance, go read A Web of Lust and Sorrow, but I can't hardly <laughs> tell you anything about it. But yeah, so that was shocking that I wrote a spider romance, but actually ended up being one of my favorites ever. Yeah. And I think also to your excitement just sells it on its own. If you're that excited about something that you do not like spiders, it kind of makes me want to go, I want to I know what she's so fucking excited about. <laughs> 
So true. I did have someone give me a low review and they said like the book was amazing, loved it. Spice scenes were great. This and that. Love the twist. Love the plot. They're like, I'm just taking away a few stars because there were spiders and I don't like spiders. I was like, what? Why? You knew there were spiders going into this book. There's no surprises. I mean, it's a web. So yeah, see, reviews like that are a completely different. Uh, it's like an entire whole episode. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm like, okay, give it a chance. Even if you hate spiders, I think you'll like it. That's what I'm saying. Because I liked it. You don't like them and that you're writing about them. That's saying yeah, something. That should say something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because you're a first-time guest, you don't know a whole lot. If, as far as uh, the, like the patrons, we play a game of like, would you rather? Because I love making you guys pick between two things. <laughs> okay. God. And that's where the uh, would you rather you know, tell everyone your guilty pleasures or never partake into your guilty pleasures ever again question comes into play. And usually y'all tell me what those are and it could be anything from the, they're like, it's so boring. And then, or, or they're like really spicy, but they never tell me that what it actually is because that's, you know, not part of the question. And the running joke is it's okay. The next time that you're on the show, we're going to talk about those guilty pleasures. So we're going to talk about your guilty pleasures. <laughs> Great. <laughs> can't wait well i mean here's i mean think about it either you tell and talk about it or you don't ever do them again what which one would you choose yeah no i would still want to do them for sure exactly so you got and that's part of the whole like wanting to tell us so what is your guilty pleasure oh my gosh i probably have so many I, i'm so weird and i do so many weird things one of the weirder ones i think this counts as a guilty pleasure is um like i have a weird obsession with watching the great British baking show as like a comfort watch for me. So I spend an excessive amount of time watching the great British baking show, which I don't know if uh, that is a normal thing that people enjoy or not, but that would probably be one of my guilty pleasures that I watch all the time. <laughs> I really enjoy eating Asian food, especially Japanese food, but I eat my food with my chopsticks still attached at the top. That is something that I probably should be embarrassed about more. Oh, um, I do the same thing. <laughs> okay, great. Oh, that makes me feel better. Because if not, I just can't eat. And your girl loves to eat. Yeah, I'm not very, I mean, like I've done it, but for like the bigger pieces, but like when it comes down to rice and things like that, I'm like, uh, I mean, even the practice, I mean, I've practiced that there's the trick with it, where you put it and things like that. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Food should not be stressful. <laughs> no, it should not. It should be eaten and enjoyed and, you know, guilt free, but I get it. So yeah. So yeah, me too, girl. I always, I use the things there. Yeah. Okay. I love that. I, um, call myself a Germione like worshiper <laughs> but in reality I actually have just read Manacled and it's just that I spend like almost all day every day telling people to read Manacled and talking about Manacled and thinking about Manacled mm -hmm. because it has basically taken over my entire life and personality and I think like it'll be my favorite book forever until the end of time mm. I don't know if you've read Manacled. No, I haven't, but I'm, I, I added it to my list. Okay. It's so good. It's that, I don't know if you know, it's like Draco and Hermione fanfic meets Handmaid's Tale. Oh, boy, that is So dark. it's very dark. It's by Sidlin Yu. Um, it's super long, but uh, yeah, love it. It's my favorite thing ever. Those are great. Okay. Guilty pleasures. Basically, I'm just a nerd is what that boils down to. That's it. I had so it's fine. The um, other thing is um, you guys have gone rogue on me a few times by flipping the script and, this, and asking me a bunch of questions. Troy did that to me too, by the way. And I was <laughs> like, sir, this, no, it, uh, 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 this is not happening. And he just continued. And I'm like, Troy, seriously, dude, no. <laughs> <laughs> he would just power through like, all right, you are answering. Yeah. He's like, but I want to get to know you. And I'm like, we can talk afterwards. This show is not about me. It's about you. But you guys have done it often enough that I'm like, you know what? I'm going to add it as a segment of like, ask me anything. So do you have any questions to ask me? And I will answer. Oh, you know what? I would love to know in terms of books, because I assume you enjoy reading, listening. You're a book lover, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> if you could live as any book character for a day, who would it be? Oh, my God. 
<laughs> Drop that on you. Yes. <laughs> no, like that is really a great question. <laughs> There's so many. That's the thing. You guys are so good at what you do that you kind of just fall in love. And I'm like, huh. A recent one that I found rather like, ooh, kind of like, oh, that's kind of like home, was uh, it's a series by <laughs> Molly Harper. It's paranormal because they're witches. And in one of those things where she didn't know she was a witch until she, you know, an aunt dies and then they're going back into it. But she can talk to ghosts and she can make things appear and disappear. And then there's a couple of other ladies in the town that are also they become friends. And now they're also witches. And I'm going, that'd be kind of cool to inherit an old house full of ghosts and trying to figure that out. That's what would be an adventure. And it's like, OK, I think that that's a recent one. But I mean. There's so many characters that you're going like, how else can I do things? But that book is called uh, Witches Get Stuff Done. And it's uh, narrated by Amanda Ronconi and Teddy Hamilton. And Amanda does this great thing where you completely get lost in the story. Sometimes even when like Teddy was popping in, I'm like, Teddy, why are you interrupting? Uh, <laughs> let Amanda read the whole book. I'm fine with it. <laughs> That's so funny. That's how you know she's good. Yeah, that, exactly. But that was one of those where I'm like off the top of my head. I would totally like I could move into an island and inherit a house and everything's paid for. I just kind of have to stick it out and deal with ghosts. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. That's one little things here. OK, can I ask another one? Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> OK, wait, I have one more. It's book related because I thought you might say something like this when you answered that question, but you didn't. If you could have a spicy times with one book character, who would it be? or one of them you know i won't say this is the only person or creature or whatever that you would want to have spicy times in a book but who's someone from a book you've read that you're like you know i wouldn't mind trading places with the main character for a bit i know right (laughs) now i'm trying to think because you're like how many books have i listened to and read in these 15 years or more Okay, so yeah, Danica Dark has a series called, um, she has three series, but it's the Madri one, her first series, where he is supposedly initially, it was a slow burn too, was supposed to like kidnap her and kill her, but it ends up that they end up having like a friendship and stuff and they're fated mates and and everything like that. But everybody's like, he's so rough, he's so like, and but it was also really sweet and tender to her, but also could have some spicy, like, you know, mm-hmm. not so tender stuff. And just the character too, where there would be like in public, but he would say something in her ear and kind of like do a little bit of a growl. And it's like, okay, stop. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. Okay. I like, oh, that's a good one. That's a good answer. Yeah. Thanks. I had to borrow that one about the character though. I'm going to be like, if you don't like this, blame Violet. <laughs> right. I know. She set y'all all up now. Yeah, Exactly. Goodness. Okay. So before we go, can you tell us what you're currently working on and what's coming up next for you? Yes. So I'm currently working on two books, one of which is Shifter and Seer, which is the fifth and final book in the Chosen Shifter Mate series. So this will close out that series, which I'm very excited to finish that series because it was my first book series and you know love that and then the other is i've only announced on my patreon so far but i have a new dark fairy tale reimagining coming out that is called cruelest kiss and fairest blood which is a dark snow white reimagining so you can expect both of those to be coming out mid-summer and then you can expect the wrath of roses and ours for halloween to be out on audio in the next couple of months I'm excited. Yes. Because those get added to my to be read list and to be listened to this hopefully Yay. too. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being my guest. It's been so much fun hanging out. Yes. Thanks for having me again. It was awesome. Yeah. If you're not following uh, Violet on social media, I don't worry. I will give you guys all the links. You guys don't have to go hunting for it. That you can find that and all the stuff a little bit what we talked about some cliff notes of sorts and all the books that way you can add them to your to be read list or listen list over at viviana enchanters of, of books.com and don't forget to get their dark star tickets guys visit their website yeah. www.darkstarcon.com and look to learn more and again grab your tickets and until next time happy listenings thank you to all of our audiobook loving podcast patreon The audiobook-loving podcast has special Patreon access levels. 
Join today to receive benefits including early access to episodes, shout-outs, special exclusive content, and much more. Support the podcast by becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash audiobookloving. We thank you for your support. Thank you for joining us on the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast, hosted by Viviana Enchantress of Books. For links and more information discussed in today's episode, previous podcasts, or the Audiobook Lovin' series, please visit our website, vivianaenchantressofbooks.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a positive review wherever you listen to our podcast. Until next time, happy listening.